I'm going to do an impression of my most remembered line from any film. All right, you ready? Okay. I'm yeah. hoping both you guys get this because you might not. Patrons, this is for you. He's <laughs> oh, walked no. out. He, he's actually walked. Oh. Hello there. Hello, all you cheeky, cheeky boys listening. Boys and girls, and everyone in between, actually. Let's be fucking 2022 about it. Hello, all of you, and welcome to the greatest show on earth, the greatest podcast that has ever been and ever will be, Goats, the show where we try to find definitive answers to very, very subjective questions. And that question is, what's the greatest of dot, dot, dot? With me, as always, are two people, one of which I've seen very recently, and the other of which I haven't seen about half a year. That would be Vinny and Michael. How are you both doing? Tired. <laughs> cracking, mate. Absolutely <laughs> cracking. I feel like Vinny has had a very different day from me and Michael. What have you boys been up to? What have you boys been up to? So, this morning, uh, so it's important to say today we're on the Saturday of the Platy Jubes weekend. So Michael and the rest of his family came up on Thursday morning, day one of Platyjubes. And since then, we have been doing sort of intermittently sort of segueing between fixing slash doing bits and bobs to my motorbike and then doing family orientated London stuff. And Michael, for those of you who don't know us in person, which seems to be coming quite a large amount, which is quite scary. But for those of you who don't know us in real life, Michael has a three-year-old boy who is part lovely, idyllic angel child and part spawn of the devil. Yep. (laughs) Wakes up at six and makes noises that I've never heard before. He's a handful when you're trying to uh, go around busy London and, like Seb said, uh, you know, change brake lines and that. He's a handful when he's in your quiet, idyllic village town of uh, in Devon. So, like, I can't imagine him in London. Yeah. Do you know what? When we were out and about, he was great because there was so much going on that he was constantly occupied and there was so much happening that he was, like, loving it. But then we got back to the house and, obviously, I've got a cat and then Michael's got a three-year-old. Yep. Um, they're not in the same bracket, obviously, but they're both in the same bracket of not allowed out of the house. And yet both of them spent most of yesterday and today out of the house, just fucking running around. And it'd be like, oh, get get Michael's kid back in, get Leo back in. And then as we'd open the door to put Leo back in, the cat would just come thundering out. And it was just, it was either the cat or the kid yeah. somewhere they shouldn't be. Whilst we were trying to do bike stuff, like bleeding the brake lines, we've done loads of stuff. The bike looks great. I'm really pleased with it. But it was I am knackered. Yeah, I mean, it's like nine o'clock now. Five hours ago, I was bleeding brake lines in London. And now I'm sat in my garage in Devon recording a podcast. <laughs> so that's where we're at. And um, all my notes as well, because we were supposed to do this earlier in the day, but we couldn't. But I, I didn't have anything to do all my notes on. All we had was some arts and crafty stuff. So I don't know. We might be able to, you might be able to see this, actually, because we're recording these as video now. All my notes are on craft paper written in felt tip because I didn't have anything else. I think there's some googly eyes on there somewhere. There? Probably. I can't read it, so this is gonna be this is gonna be fun, you know. It's orange on green and I am a bit colourblind, so how am I supposed to read that? Who fucking knows, mate? But yeah, so thanks for listening. 
No, thanks for listening. That sounds like I'm about to end. Um, <laughs> See you next week. See you next week. That's the uh, this that's the tenth episode done. Um, we are episode ten though. This is episode Which ten. Is, yeah, bonkers, really. I don't know how we've managed to get here. What's even weirder is that our listeners have been increasing, and we've even got um, some patrons. So that's bizarre. So we'll just pretend that's not happening, and just pretend it's just us three having a chat. Because otherwise, it starts to feel a bit weird, doesn't it? But yeah. So this is episode 10. As a special episode 10 kind of celebration, like we did for episode 5, uh, like we're going to do for any, every sort of landmark celebration, we're doing a grab bag. These are everyone's favourite episodes. If you weren't here last time, a grab bag is like three smaller mini goats, pygmy goats, small subjects that we crack through in hopefully about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Have we got anything? Has anyone got any other Vinny, how smashed are you on a scale of one to ten? But yeah, I, I don't think we should gloss over the fact that, you know, we've explained our day, but Vinny is absolutely trollied. <laughs> what have you been doing today? I'm not, uh, well, I'm not trollied. I just, I I, uh, I met with a friend in town for some lovely, um, some shopping, you know, I had to get some nicks and knacks for, uh, for the future. And it kind of, because the weather was so nice, it, it uh, devolved into uh, a pint. And you know, after a pint, you were like, "Ah, oh, yeah, let's let's go by the seaside. Let's see what that's like." And then we're like, "Ah, oh, selling drinks, you know, by the by the harbour. Like, <laughs> oh, I might as well get another pint in." And yeah, oh, no. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so oh, so I've no. I've had a great day, but yeah. I've had to sprint home because <laughs> time was of the essence. And uh, yeah, I had a three minute shower, which wasn't particularly comfortable. Mm. But uh, we're here now, and uh, <laughs> hopefully. I can last to the end of the podcast, but uh, that's a big if. I believe in you. I very much believe in you. Well, let's jump right in, shall we, Seb? Take it away. Introduce the first one. So, yeah, um, our first subject of today's grab bag is something that I'm not sure everyone knows the name of, but I think everyone will have experienced. So the real name for this is a bit boring. It's called false memories how tragic is that we don't want to call it that the name that it goes by online and the name by which most of you if you know what i'm talking about or we know what we're talking about we know is called the mandela effect and the mandela effect is effectively a collective or mass misremembering of a specific event now traditionally or like i guess in the purest definition these mandela effects are really big stuff. 9-11 didn't happen. Like, that would be huge. Or the reason it's called the Mandela Effect is because it comes from this mass misremembering which took place where it was found that a surprisingly large amount of the general population, when Nelson Mandela died, thought that he'd already died. Yeah, yeah. So he died, and then there was this collective thing where everyone went, what? I thought he died in the 80s. In prison, yeah. In prison. And that's where the term the Mandela effect comes from. So it comes from this misremembering of the fact that Nelson Mandela, I'm not going to explain who Nelson Mandela is, fuck me, if you don't know who that is, just Google it and <laughs> hang your head in shame. But it comes from the misremembering that Nelson Mandela died in prison when in fact we all know he died much later. In the last, what, 15 years? I fucking know, when did Nelson Mandela 10 die? years, I think it was the noughties, uh, teenies, right? It was after the World Cup. 2013, died in yeah. 2013. So... It's the misremembering that he died in the 80s and actually died in 2013. 
to give you some examples, ones that always freak me out. The one that really got me, I was like totally Mandela effect, schmeck, well, I don't care. I've, they're no other Mandela effect to me. I was like, Nelson Mandela obviously died in 2013. Yeah. Fucking this and that. You're talking shit. The one that shook me to my core was the fact that there is not and has never been a criminal emoji. I, in my head, remember seeing a guy running along in a classic like black and white prisoner's uniform with a swag bag over his back and a thing over his eyes. That has never been a I thing. I can picture that so vividly. Wait, seriously? No, it's not a thing. Nah. Let me get my wow. phone up now. I swear, Google it right now. Everyone on your phone, Google it. It's not a thing. Robber emoji, like burglar emoji. When you said criminal emoji, I, did, I, I was like, I don't really know what you're on about, but when you described it... This fella? It, yeah. That doesn't exist. Yeah. It doesn't exist. If you type it in, it'll just come up with the word Mandela effect after it. That never has existed. What? That is nuts. That blew my fucking mind. And if for anyone who's at home shitting their pants now because they also <laughs> thought that was a thing, welcome to the Mandela effect. And our first order of business is Vinny and Michael are going to tell me what they think is the greatest Mandela effect of all time. Vinny, for the sake of getting you to do one while you're at least somewhat sober, what's uh, what's yours? <laughs> Uh, okay, that's a direct question uh, that I'm not ready to answer just yet. <laughs> okay, so I've, I obviously, obviously, we do a lot of research for these uh, podcast episodes. We pour our heart, blood, sweat, and tears into every episode. Of course, uh, we don't just do it an hour before we're supposed to record. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, anyway, so I did a lot of research on Mandela effects and famous Mandela effects. And there are actually quite a lot, some notable ones that I thought would be interesting to talk about. So, uh, you know the song We Are the Champions by Queen? Yeah. So if you can picture in your head, right at the end, when Freddie Mercury is singing, We are the champions of the world. Yeah. You can picture that yeah. right in your head, yeah, like yeah. as it ends, on, it like it fades of the world, yeah, yeah, yeah. of of the world. Yeah. yeah. See, that's not true. It doesn't end of of the world. <laughs> oh, for God's sake! I fucking hate these things. And <laughs> <laughs> what did it end on? Oh, I'm freaking out. It's making my it, it, it just it just ends on "We Are the Champions." It oh doesn't. There's God. no of the world at the end. Oh, uh, Zev's gob. It's of the world. Hang on, Of the World is in the song though, isn't it? At some point. Of the World is like halfway through the song, but he doesn't sing it at the end. Wow. It's hard to be speechless in an audio format, but that's actually blowing my mind. Yeah. Yeah, that's a crazy one, because that's one like, you know, when you're at the, the yeah, football the or the rugby or whatever yeah. sporty event. And every you know, We Are the Champions is a classic song, especially after like a And final. you always end it. You always end it of the worlds. Exactly. It's, it's everyone knows it of the world, but it doesn't end like that. Yeah. Crazy. Another one that I thought was pretty interesting was if you've boys seen uh, the 90s cult classic, The Silence of the Lambs. Yep. Can you vividly remember Hannibal Lecter as uh, Maurice comes in to yep. the, the prison cell? Hannibal Clarice. Lecter saying behind. Cla- Did I say Maurice? Oh, fuck. I wrote Maurice as well. <laughs> Cut that, cut that, cut that. <laughs> so do you boys vividly remember the scene where Clarice, the detective in uh, Science of the Lambs, she comes through the uh, the prison cell where um, Hannibal Lecter's being yep, held. Yep. And Hannibal through the bars or the, the screen, whatever the hell it was, he whispers in a creepy voice, 
Hello, Clarice. Yeah. Do you do you boys remember that very famous line? That hello, very famous Clarice. scene. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I I remembered it as Hello, Maurice. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> carry on. Sorry, I had to say that. Yeah, carry on. He never says that. He never says hello, Clarice, in the entire film. Hang what on. does he say? Oh, seriously? He just doesn't. He doesn't say hello, Clarice, at all in the entire what, film. Not even when she visits him again after, like, because she goes back, doesn't she, no. to ask him for help. He doesn't say hello, Clarice. He doesn't say hello, Clarice, in a creepy voice. What the Fuck's fuck? sake. In it. I yeah. don't like it. I really don't like Honestly, it. Honestly, listeners, if you've yeah, never heard of these Mandela effect, like if you've never heard of Mandela effect before, and now these little instances are like fucking with your brain, like all night, I guarantee you're just going to be googling them. There's there's loads. So another really fascinating one I found was this whole Mandela effect about uh, the famous Da Vinci painting, the Mona Lisa. Have you boys heard about this Mona Lisa? Oh, painting? I've heard of yeah. this one. Yeah, I've heard about this one actually. What is it? So it's this really famous painting by this really famous artist called uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci. I think no, he was I around in Italy. So there's a really interesting Mandela effect about how people remembered the Mona Lisa smiling when they first saw her. But then years later, when they look at her, they realize she's not smiling. Yeah, like, well, it's like a debate, isn't it? How much is she, like, is she smiling? But, like, she's not really smiling properly. But people remember her being, like, a proper, like, big grin, don't they? Like, So here's the thing. Here's the thing about, like, why the Mona Lisa is, I think, probably, like, the most famous painting in the world. And why it's such an interesting painting to, like, look at is because... Depending on what part of her face you look at, she shows a completely different expression. Oh yeah, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. She like it's some part. Sometimes you think she's smiling. Sometimes you think she's got a look of contempt. It's really interesting. Like half of her face looks like she's smiling. The other half it looks like she's just a bit upset, like a bit pissed off. Which brings me on to an important question. I want to ask you two boys: What famous iconic? movie lines do you remember in the entirety of like film history hollywood history what iconic lines that really like spring to mind i'll be back i'll be back yeah that's fantastic what's in the box what's in the what's box, in the box? That, uh pulp fiction right no um uh, seven seven yeah oh is that seven yeah. oh. it's like what's in the box what's in the fucking box Oh, like at the end. Because Morgan Freeman opened... Basically... Oh, yeah, we probably shouldn't ruin it, yeah. Yeah, no. I was, about to, I was yeah. literally about to ruin the end of Seven. <laughs> Don't. It's, Seven's yeah, a great I, film. Watch yeah, it. Other famous movie quotes? Snakes. I hate snakes. Indiana Jones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, What's with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, about yeah. I've had it with these motherfucking <laughs> snakes on this... Actually, side note, have you boys seen the uh, the censored, well, the, the trailer for that film where they kept in that line, but because it has to be for a general audience, they censored motherfucking. And so Samuel Jackson had to re-record the line to, um, if I remember correctly, it's, uh, I've had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday <laughs> to Friday plane. <laughs> I'm going to do an impression of my most remembered line from any film. All right, okay. you ready? Yeah. I'm hoping both you guys get this because you might not. Patrons, this is for you. He's walked out. <laughs> he, he's actually walked... Oh. 
Hello there. <laughs> That's um, Star Wars 3. That's yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi to uh, General Grievous. Yeah, where he drops in behind oh, General Grievous. Yeah. Hello there. That took me ages to get that then. The only one that's better than that in that film is You fools, I've been trained in the Jedi arts by Count Dooku. And then he just goes like this with his lightsabers. <laughs> As though that's yeah, Jedi. Like a turbine. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> so he's like, I've been trained for years. Then he just goes. <laughs> anyway, sorry, not important. That's oh, not wow. making it in. That's just ne- pure nerd shit. I'm still a big fan of the line. Uh... Don't do it, Anakin. I have the high ground. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good Obi Wan Kenobi, actually. That's a good Obi Wan Kenobi. I just know that entire. Scene, Surely, man. the best line in that film is though is um when um he's gonna kill um Count Dooku, Anakin, and Palpatine is like in the corner and he goes, "Do it, do it." Yeah, he turns into like uh, Palpatine for a second. He goes, do it. No, no, not Palpatine. Uh, Darth Sidious. Yeah, yeah, he, for a yeah. It's he's he's like, good foreshadowing because he's literally like, "Do it." Kill him. Kill him now. Anyway, I can't think of any more famous movie lines that are like, probably off the top of my head. Well, while we're on Star Wars, what's the most uh, famous Star Wars line uh, of all uh, time? Luke. Luke, I am your father. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Search your feelings, you know you it's know true. it's true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You'd be wrong. What? What do you mean? You'd be wrong. That's not the line. Fuck off. Luke, I am your father. Yeah, it is. He doesn't say... What does he say? He says, no, I am your father. No, he doesn't. He doesn't say, Luke, I am your father. He says, no, I am your father. No, I am your father. Why would he say no to what? No to what? Yeah, oh my God, he does. Because Luke says, it's something like, he told me you killed him. Yeah. Or something like that. Because he's basically like talking about his dad. And then he's like, Obi-Wan hasn't, he goes, Obi-Wan hasn't told you the truth about your father. He goes, he told me enough. He told me you killed him. And he goes, no. But I thought he said, no, Luke, I am your father. I'm sure there's a Luke in there. There is no Luke in there. He doesn't say his name at all. Wow. 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 The only no I remember from that scene, because afterwards Luke does, he's like holding on the pole, isn't he? And he's like, no! No! Yeah, yeah. R.I.P. Eardrums. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I can see. Can you see all our waveforms on the bottom? It's a huge block. (laughs) Oh no, that's going to be awful to listen to. Anyway, that's insane. That's nuts. That's it. That's my pick. Because I think that's maybe like potentially, I don't know. Would it be daring to say that's the most popular yeah. like the biggest movie line in movie history oh yeah yeah i can't believe i didn't think of like, it to be fair yeah i mean it's the big reveal of the biggest franchise of all is time. that in the sixth film then what what film is that one in fifth or empire strikes back the best oh, right. film so they've already had a bit of a fight luke and because i can't remember star wars for the life of me for now but luke and darth vader they've already had a fight and he's lost yeah oh yeah yeah and then he's like yeah i'm your father that is mad because that's a Mandela effect. That's not just about like something like misremembered. I'd say that's misremembered by ninety percent of the movie going population. That's the thing. Like if you ask like most people on the street, they're gonna say unless they've watched it recently or they're like just a particular nerd about this sort of stuff, they're gonna say Luke. 
I am your father. Like, that is the line. Like, Seb, Seb, you are a Star Wars nerd, aren't you? You fucking love Star Wars. Like, that, you know, that's not a diss. That's like a compliment to you, isn't it? I've got a fucking Princess Leia. You've got, he's got a sexy Princess Leia tattoo on, on his arm, right? If you didn't know that it was, no, I am your father, then, like, yeah, 99% of the population don't know the real line, which is crazy. And it's, it's probably referenced in pop culture. Like, people just don't know. That's the thing. I wonder if it just gets the momentum of people saying it wrong. And then so many people say it wrong that you've heard it wrong. Because, like, realistically, I love Star Wars. And maybe this makes me, like, not a proper fan or whatever. But I haven't really seen the original films that many times. I've seen them probably five or six each. Yeah. And since I was a kid. When I was a kid, I used to watch them on repeat. But that's different. Like, I, don't, I feel like as an adult, you know, when I was a kid, I had them on, like, knockoff DVD. And I just watched them nonstop. Yeah, but, yeah. Like, as an adult, I don't, I don't watch them like every year. I probably go back every couple of years and think, oh, I fucking, I love Star Wars. And like, I probably watch it once a year max. And I probably hear someone say it a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah. And therefore I probably hear it wrong more than I see it yeah. right. If that makes sense. But that is still really creepy. That's blown my mind actually. Yeah. So yeah, that's my pick. That's my pick. Fucking hell, Michael, you've got a lot to live up to. Wow. dude. Right, Michael, what's yours then? I'm gonna do mine in like a little bit of a little bit of a memory game. So I'm not just gonna say the title, this is the one. I'm just gonna tell a story. I want you to like stop me when you think that's the thing that I have either said wrong or is remembered wrong. It'll go like this. We all remember nineteen sixty one, yeah? And uh JFK saying, By the end of the decade, the United States of America is going to put man on the moon. And in nineteen sixty nine the Apollo missions successfully landed an American on the moon. Yeah, that yeah, happened. That yeah, those are yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you drop in at any of these points now, if you're like the moon didn't happen, <laughs> I'm kicking off. If your Mandela effect is actually a conspiracy, I'm going to be so fuming. Uh, no, they did, uh, they did land on the moon. We've already done conspiracy theories and uh, Mythbusters proved ages ago that they did it. So it's not that. It's not that wrong. <laughs> One mark down. But yeah, so they landed on the moon and there was a few astronauts. The most notable astronauts were called Neil Armstrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Buzz Aldrin. Yeah. That's right. The other one. And the other one. The other one. No one remembers. The other <laughs> yeah. one who had to stay on the ship. Yeah, yeah. So we're right so far. His name wasn't Bob Armstrong. No. No, it was Neil Armstrong. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And he landed on the moon. And the first thing he said when he landed on the moon was... This is one small step for man. One giant step for mankind. Why did he say that first Yeah. <laughs> He says, I, I remember vivid, I remember the sound clip vividly because I'm a fucking nerd. Was it one giant uh, step? One small step, step for, for man. man one giant leap. Giant from... leap for mankind, yeah, I think he says. Yeah, one giant leap for mankind. He says yeah. it like, in, in, he kinda, it's hard to hear that bit. He goes like, one giant leap for mankind. Yeah, he goes, it's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And that pause is him realising that he fucked it up. Yeah, so I thought I would trick you there by making you think you had misremembered the line, but actually you hadn't. But an interesting fact about that line is is it's not misremembered, but Neil Armstrong actually did fuck it up because he said one small step for man encompassing all people, one giant leap for mankind also encompassing all men and people. But what he meant to say was one small step for a man, a man, like 
one singular person making a step, but a giant leap forwards for like the human race. So he fucked the line up, which is crazy because we were talking about famous movie lines. That's one of the famous human being lines of all time. And it's completely wrong. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. He had one chance. He had one shot, one opportunity, and he fucked it up. Do you think he was like, boys, can we go back? Yeah, he's like, cut that, cut that, cut that. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. If all these people saying the moon landings are fake, if it's fake, Stanley Kubrick would have been like, cut, retake. Yeah, reload. Do it again, do it again. (laughs) We're all right so far. We're all remembering the moon landings correctly so far because they're pretty famous. They're some of the most famous human beings of all time, um, and they did a very famous thing. So they come back to Earth. Yeah, they didn't leave anyone there. I don't think they did. That's the other guy is still there. <laughs> Someone should check up on him. Imagine that. They're like halfway home. They're like, oh, fuck. We fuck, left- where's Barry? We left Matt Damon. <laughs> but no, so yeah, they land back down. Happy days. The next sort of 60 years happen. They're still kicking about. They do tours and things like that. Yeah, happy days. Happy days, mate. Sure. But did you know... That in 2012, Neil Armstrong died. No. Did you know that? Did you know one of the most famous human beings in history, like genuinely one of the most famous human beings in modern history, died over a decade ago and you can't even remember? But when I asked you which random celebrities died in 2016, you could name them all. How the fuck... Can people not remember that Neil Armstrong died a decade ago? That to me is insane. I don't know if that's a Mandela effect or if it's just a sad mirror towards how shit our society is. I think it's more just like Neil Armstrong was remembered for doing one thing in 1969 and that was it. No one remembers him for anything else he's ever done. Yeah, but you could say the same about Jesus. Well, Jesus did a lot of things. That's the thing. He did a lot of things. He did, like, <laughs> bare magic, and then he died across, and then he came back. He, he like, fed 5,000 <laughs> folks with two fish and a loaf of bread or whatever the fuck he did. He resurrected. That was pretty insane. That was big. It was bonkers. People are still scratching their heads on that one. I did. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, did he have, like, a card behind his... I'm so confused. <laughs> It's like a body double, sun double. <laughs> it's a skin suit. It has to be a skin suit. <laughs> He's faked his death for tax purposes. <laughs> Here's the thing about Neil Armstrong dying as well that freaked me out was that he didn't just die randomly in normal circumstances. He died of uh, complications from a coronary bypass procedure that the family then sued the hospital because they completely fucked up and sort of let him die. So he died in like really strange circumstances and it was this huge thing and there's tributes all the time and people still don't remember it. Maybe because we live in the UK and like he's not a national hero of ours. I feel like maybe you'd have learned a bit more about him in school and stuff then. But I do find it strange that he died ages and ages ago and, and people just don't remember. So I feel like I'm giving away my answer early doors, but we do need to crack on. So I'm going to come to my conclusion here. I'm going to get a snap. OK, it. let's go. I am shocked by the fact that Neil Armstrong's died. Didn't know. And I think it's mad that I didn't know. However, if you said to me before this, is Neil Armstrong dead? I wouldn't have gone, yes. I'd have gone, yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I think it's more of a sad reflection. It's more of a sad comment on society that we don't know that than it is a Mandela effect. It's that harsh to say. Whereas I think... 
one of the most famous movie lines ever being wrong in pretty much everyone's head, that's mental. <laughs> and I think that the Neil Armstrong thing is a more important comment, don't get me wrong. Like the fact that I could probably name six Premier League starting 11s and I don't know that Neil Armstrong died is sad. Yeah. But it's not the greatest Mandela effect of all time. Luke, I am your father, not being the line, is the greatest Mandela effect of all time. Thank you, sir. Fair enough. Well, when I googled Mandela effect, Neil Armstrong died did come up, so the internet is to blame for that. The internet's wrong. No, the internet's right. I'm sure it is a Mandela effect. And yet again, I wonder if that would be a more powerful Mandela effect in America, where he is a bigger yeah, deal. Yeah, probably. But I think in the UK, for me, it's just a bit like... Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh. Earlier, you asked us, like... Did you ask us, like, how he's kicking about? Like, if he's no, kicking so about? Like... kicking about and all that, yeah. Yeah, I was kind of like... I mean, I've not heard of him kicking about, so maybe he's dead, but I don't the know. The other guys are still alive. Bud Aldrin is still alive. Buzz Aldrin and the other guy are still alive. That poor other guy. <laughs> Imagine being the other guy. You're on the fucking moon and no one remembers you. You just called the other guy. Do I, what actually is his name? They were like that at like Houston, like on the landing. You know, they're all like, Neil and Buzz, are you okay? And they're like, yes, sir. And they're like, what's, what's his name? I went to, I, he had a birthday recently. What, what did I write on his card? Fuck. I've just been calling him mate. I think I went to his house. I met his wife. What Do you know what his is name his is? Name? <laughs> Michael Collins. And that's why I don't remember, because the other one's called Buzz. Never heard of Michael Collins. Michael Collins. Isn't that the drummer from Genesis? That's Phil Collins. Collins. This is is top quality content. (laughs) Right, on to the next one. Happy 10th episode, everyone. Us discussing the drummer from fucking Genesis. Genesis. Oh, God. Right, so what are we doing next? Is it the greatest hip-hop sample? I believe it is. So, Michael, I guess if we're doing hip-hop, it's time for you to jump in. Okay, so the next category in today's Pick-A-Mix Grab Bag Variety Selection Box of Churri Heats is the greatest hip-hop sample of all time. If you listen to last week's episode where Vinny discussed Nas, I'm glad I'm getting to uh, umpire this, sort of decide this one, because pretty big on the older hippity-hoppity, zippity-zoppity, you know what I mean? So it's over to you boys to decide which the greatest hip-hop sample of all time is. There's quite a few sort of invented sampling. So, uh, Vinny, you went first just then. So, Seb, what is your pick for the greatest hip-hop sample of all time? Wagwan, I just want to say that the only thing whiter than me saying Wagwan is you saying (laughs) hippity-hoppity. I did that on purpose. That was a joke. That's a bit. (laughs) Hippity-hoppity. Okay. (laughs) We'll call it a bit. We'll call it a bit. But yeah, there's a lot on the line with this one. Despite what our um, upbringings might suggest, we're all pretty big hip-hop heads. Yeah. I really like hip-hop, and I particularly like sampling. I was going on last week about that guy scratching. I think like people especially scratch for samples. I think that's wicked. And obviously sample machines. I'm not going to try and jump in on how sample machines work because our very own DJ V-Dog can probably give a better explanation of how that works because he actually makes music. But what I would say is if you want to learn more about sampling and the kind of origins of sampling, rather than me just giving you Mark Ronson's TED Talk, I just really recommend you go and watch Mark Ronson's TED Talk because it's fucking sick. Like, he just talks about, like, the evolution of sampling, 
how where it is now is so much shitter compared to where it was 25 years ago. Like 25 years ago, a sample was like taking something you loved and trying to improve on it or try and fit it into your narrative and be like, I love this thing, so I want it to be part of my music. Like Wu-Tang Clan and people like that did it with like pop culture references and stuff like that. And now it's just like, oh, there's this really famous hook, so I'm just going to sample it and put it in my song because it's like free nostalgia and the album will sell well. Yeah. I can't remember what song it was, but I heard a song on Radio 1 the other day, which was just like a cover with a few lyrics changed. And I was like, hang on, that's not even, you're not even sampling at that point. It's this, it's like but basically the same beat. You're singing basically the same lyrics. How is this not just like copyright? How is this not just plagiarism? I don't understand. I can't remember what the song was either. It's like that Wild Thoughts, which is just a poorly sampled Santana record with Rihanna rapping yeah. slash singing over the top of it. I don't mind Rihanna, but that is just lazy. But anyway, we're not talking about that. And we're not here to go on about how music's not good anymore because it is good. <laughs> Just pop music's always been shit. Go back and look at the charts when the Beatles were around. They got knocked off the top of the charts by the sound of music. And that is fucking shit. So just don't come at me with music's not good anymore. It's always been terrible. I like sound of the music. The musical, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a timeless musical. What the fuck are you saying? It's not. It's a timeless musical, but it's not the Beatles. Don't suck Paul McCartney off too much, mate. Right, forget the Beatles thing, but go back and look at any top ten chart. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, like trash in there. <laughs> when the sixties, like one of the top singles was uh, that song that's like Sugar. Da, 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 da. Oh, honey, honey, like that's not a good song. Let's not fool ourselves. <laughs> that's that, but that sold like a motherfucker in the sixties. And like, I'm pretty sure that because everybody said about is the word. I'm pretty sure that is like at least platinum. So, like, don't come at me with, like, music's not good anymore. It's always been shit, and it's always been good. There's good music if you look for it. Fucking move Before on. we do that, can I interject with a couple of things, because I'm just looking at the chart now, and I've got a couple of observations. First observation, I know the song. It's by Nathan Dorr, featuring Ella Henderson. They're the new artists, and if you listen to this, fuck you, because the song that they're ripping off is 21 Questions by Fiddy, and that song bangs. I love 21 Questions, and they just rip off the whole hook. It's really annoying, so fuck you. Point number two, the chart is shit because half of it is Harry Styles at the moment, and that's appalling. But my point number three is maybe it's not so bad because new in at number 20 by band Cunts, Prince Charles is a sweaty nonce. <laughs> Cunts of the K, right? Cunts of the K. K. And I love that band because they also did Boris Johnson is a fucking cunt. So big respect to those guys. The chart's fine. Up the chart. Anyway, back to sampling. I love a fucking sample. I'm really, really into sampling. We don't have time to go through all of the ones that I love. Obviously, there's some really iconic ones like the Beastie Boys iconic sample of the theme of the Toxic Avenger. The iconic Lou Reed sample, the amazing Lou Reed sample used in Can I Kick It by Tribe Called Quest. It actually costs the Tribe Called Quest all of the money they ever made for that song. Lou Reed takes every royalty that ever was made for that song, but they liked the sample so much they asked him if they could use it, and he said, yeah, but I want all the royalties, thinking that they would say no. And they were so dedicated to the love of his music, that song, and the way that they remixed it, they said fine. 
So yeah, neither of those are my sample. My sample is, I'm not sure the majority of you, this maybe this sounds arrogant. I did What I'm saying is I didn't know this song by name for a long time, but I love the sample. And so I imagine a lot of the people listening won't know this song by name, but the sample is iconic and gets used in so many DJ sets, especially hip hop DJ sets. Like if you go and watch a hip hop DJ, and this song doesn't get played, especially if it's like 90s hip-hop, I would be shocked. So I'm just going to play the sample. It's the opening bit, and I'm just going to play it, and you can take it in. I knew you were going to fucking pick this one, you little shit. Get the fuck up. Simon says, get the fuck up. Throw your hands in the sky. I love that bit. Girls, up on your titties. Yeah. Up on your titties. That is a banger. And for those of you who don't know what that is, because I have to admit, I didn't actually know the name of that sample until relatively recently. That is the 1999 absolute classic and stalwart of any hip-hop DJ's library, Simon Says by Ferromonge. And that huge brass beat at the start is a sample from the 1992 Japanese film Godzilla vs. Mothra. The actual sample is from a song called Oh fucking hell! Why did I put this? I'm not. This is obviously going to end badly. I'm going about. I'm about to read Japanese for everyone who doesn't understand what's about to happen. The actual song is called Gojira Taimosura by Akira Ifakube. Pretty I good. don't know if that was me trying my best or being exceptionally racist. Let us know in the comments below. And that sample, I can't explain. If you haven't gone to watch live hip hop or live MCing over sampled hip-hop when that song drops when that sample drops it goes off like it's impossible for it not to go off like any whack-ass dj who's having a bad night can play that and people will start jumping and waving their arms and acting like gangsters because that beat absolutely fucking slaps it's just hard in it like it's just Oh it's my like, god! It's your teeth. It's it just hard. Hits you in yeah, the and chest. if you've got if you've got good sound, it's yeah, goes through you. Like if you hear that on like a big triple set of speakers at like a big venue or a festival, or even just on like anything with some serious like bass, it cuts your chest. Yeah. Is fucking shivers on your spine. Good, like incredible. The sample was actually so fucking good that. Farrah Monch was sort of hoisted by his own petard. When it hit the Billboard Top 100, Monch and Lee Stone, who was the guy who sort of he produced his whole album in tandem with, were sued the fuck out of. By Toho. Toho, yeah, right? Yeah, by Toho Studios. How did you know, how did you know who it was? Well, like Godzilla. I like the Godzilla films. They're cool, yeah. A bit of a Godzilla. Yeah. Fucking huge. <laughs> when you said Godzilla versus Mothra, I was like, holy shit, Really? That's sick. I thought that sample was from the original 1950-something Godzilla film. No, it's from the 1992 one. 
Wow, yeah, that's really recent. And Godzilla is like the longest running movie franchise still going today, which is a fact for you. But Akira Ifakube has done every single Godzilla soundtrack until he oh, died okay. in 2016. So, like, that's why it sounds like it could be from the one well, from 50s. Yeah, yeah. Probably like just like a revamped version, yeah. Yeah, it very well could have been. I think they just used that track, but it could have been a re-release. I'm not quite sure. But yeah, they were sued for a serious amount of money. I couldn't find the actual amount anywhere. I think the reason it was almost certainly is because in sort of musical suings, especially when something's been released, it normally then becomes a percentage of earnings of that track. And then you have to like calculate how many sales there's been and blah, 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 which is why it makes it super, super difficult. It's like why I can't tell you how much Lou Reed has made off of a no, tribal of class. Not, yeah. I, I can't, they, you don't know because that's all just behind closed doors. I would imagine a lot of the money from that track does not go to Faramonch. And they were in such a big legal battle that they didn't release Faramonch's debut album, for which that was the debut track for like a year or so. Like it took them ages to get the album out because they were just trying to deal with this massive legal battle, which then obviously meant the album didn't do so well because it lost a lot of the momentum despite having such an iconic yeah, title yeah. track or not title track, but debut track. It didn't do that well because people, you know, lost momentum. That's crazy. I wouldn't have expected like, like I know Godzilla's big and stuff and like Toho is a big fucking company, but it's weird that they got so aggy about some random hip-hop artists using their like because godzilla films especially the proper japanese ones they're quite obscure like they're not super popular in like america and stuff like it's a bit weird that they got so aggy about it and wanted to sue them so badly because copyright infringements happen all the time and people just can't be asked well this is the thing i'm not quite sure what aggravated them so much i don't want to cast any kind of speculation yeah assumptions speculations I know that Japan has quite a like a strict culture around like doing the right thing and morality. Yeah. It can also be quite a racist country. Xenophobic. Obviously, I don't want to cast any judgment, but they can be quite xenophobic and quite a racist country. Hip hop is obviously it's black music. It came out of like black culture, and I can imagine that that didn't go down that well. I wonder if it had been remixed by a classical musician, whether that suing would have happened in the same Perhaps, way. Yeah. But that is purely speculation. And I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to point fingers because that's beyond what we're here to do. The track itself has become a modern classic and Faramonch has got on to become a bit of an underground icon and is seen as one of the most sort of lyrically gifted MCs of his sort of specific subgenre. And he is incredibly lyrically gifted. I'd recommend, if you, even if you just listen to Simon Says, the wordplay in that song is possibly underrated and overshadowed by how good that sample is. Aside from all that, we're not here to talk about the record, we're here to talk about the sample. And I personally think that sample fucking slaps. It goes hard. And that's why I think it's the goat. But yeah, anyway, Vinny, I'm buzzing to hear what you've got to say because I really respect your music taste. That sounds a bit like, that's a bit too intense for what we do on this show. But I do fucking love hip hop, so I'm actually really excited. Don't respect him too much. Thank you very much, Salak. Fuck you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so obviously I'm a huge music nerd. I make my own music. As a kid, I was just like super into 90s hip hop, which is obviously like extremely sample based. So when I first started making music, 
I would actually do it via samples and I would like, I would listen to old like funk and jazz records and soul records and be like, you know, I'd listen to them and be like, that there's a sample I could sample that and like put it into Fruity Loops, cut that bit, put a drum loop over it that I've also sampled from somewhere else. You know, the whole art of sampling is just like, I could go on forever about this. I'm also a massive fan of sampling. I think it's a fantastic art form. I think it's not even just limited to hip hop. I mean, like Daft Punk, for example, like their 1994. For I want to say album Discovery that like has a lot of really really cool sampling in it like really really cool sampling in it like the whole album is fantastic as well so the first sample I wanted to bring up it's unfortunate about this one because if instead of picking goat sample in hip-hop we would have picked goat sample in music history I think this sample hands down would be the best so I think it's worth a shout out it's an old like soul slash funk song from like 1969, I think, called Amen Brother. And there is one part of the song. It's like a f- six or seven second clip of the song where it suddenly just goes into this drum solo and the drum is just going nuts. And he's just like, boom, 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 boom. And that like seven or eight second clip quite literally spawned the entirety of like jungle and the entirety of like drum and bass because everyone sampled that one bit and like sped it up and even to this day like a lot of drum and bass songs a lot of jungle songs still sample that it's called the amen break fucking hell that is just drum and bass yeah exactly that's what i mean that eight second clip spawned like the entirety of drum and bass and jungle that's unreal it doesn't just sound a bit like drum and bass it fully is yeah 100 percent. so yeah i think just special shout outs to that it's not hip-hop i mean i'm sure it's been used in hip-hop before but like i think just sampling history goes that needs a shout out that definitely needs uh, a call out another really cool one is by a jazz group called ahmed jamal trio which I'm a fan of personally. Uh, the song is I Love You, and it was sampled on, call back to last week, it was sampled on DJ Premier's production of Naz's The World Is Yours, which is on Naz's debut album, uh, Illmatic. And the entire beat was actually made by DJ Premier in about 10 minutes in his like lunch break. And a lot of people will say it's one of the best like 90s hip hop like samples and one of the best 90s hip hop instrumentals ever. It's a really, really cool sample. Another really cool one is by Mad Villain, who is the combination of MF Doom and Madlib, who like they collabed for one album in like 2003, 2004. One of my favorite hip hop albums of all time. In fact, the entire album is just full to the brim of really, really just incredible sampling, impressive shit. Like just I like I never knew that sampling could be such an art form until I listened to that album. It really blew my mind. And, and a special shout out to the song All Caps on uh, Mad Villainy, which is the album, uh, where they sampled literally just some random old superhero show called Ironside. And it was just like the opening credits theme, which they just sampled for the entire beat. And the entire beat is like, it's a fucking bop of a tune. I literally wrote that down in my notes. It's a fucking bop of a tune. <laughs> Nasty that 
And another one that Madlib did, he sampled uh, Ronnie Foster's Mystic Brew for his song Mystic Bounce, which is also like a really cool song, which was also sampled by a tribe called Quest in the song Electric Relaxation, which is one of my favorite. Uh, yeah, that's one Quest. of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, that's a really cool sample. Like the bass line on that is just, it's, it's rhythmic as fuck. It's just, it's hypnotic to say the least. It's hypnotic. And so, speaking of a tribe called Quest, in 1998, a tribe called Quest released a song called Find a Way, which, with the help of the legendary producer Jay Diller, you may or may not have heard of, like, if you haven't and you're interested in hip hop instrumentals, definitely check out Jay Diller. Fantastic producer, died way too young. And this one is a really, really cool sample. So, they sampled, so Jay Diller sampled the song. Let's see if I can pronounce this. It's in Portuguese. Toa Te featuring Bebel Gilberto. It's by Technova, I think. I think I got that one right. So like, it's literally some random, like, I'm pretty sure it's Brazilian. Maybe it's Portuguese, but it's like some just like random, like Brazilian, I don't know, like Bossa Nova hip hop song from like the 90s or whatever. Um, and so the whole song is literally sung in Portuguese. But Madlib got the hook, or like a part of the chorus, where um, this girl in the song, she's singing Portuguese, obviously. And he took that and he looped it. And it sounded really, really nice. So he gave it to a Tribal Quest, and Fife Dog from a Tribal Quest put lyrics, like English lyrics, over the Portuguese singing. And it's really, really cool, because the way he maps like the English words over the top of the Portuguese singing... And so it sounds like, like, is this is what like, I did? This blew my mind when I found out because, like, as a kid, as a Tropical Quest fan, as a kid, like, like growing up, I always thought it was just like they came up with a hook and then they got some like woman to come in and do like backing vocals because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like she's just kind of mirroring what he's saying, but actually, she's singing in Portuguese and he's singing in English on top of the Portuguese. But the way because he's like doing it in a way that, like, you know, the words kind of like I don't know phonetically or like they they sound similar to the portuguese words and the flow of the whole thing and it all makes sense like you know the lyrics are like you caught my heart for the evening kiss my cheekbones then you confuse things should i just sit out or come harder help me find my way and that's the whole song find my way or find a way yeah like honestly maybe my favorite sample of all time i think it's it's a really 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 cool one because it's just ingenious how he literally just matched the general sound of these like portuguese lyrics and put like his own hook over the top his own spin over the top and it works like so so well like you just cannot tell unless someone like explicitly tells you which is what's happening now where i'm ruining the magic maybe She's not singing English. She's not singing English. She's singing in Portuguese about like something completely opposite. Sev is flabbergasted. That's mind blowing. Yeah, that is no ridiculously idea. good. That is sick. That's insane. That's probably my favorite sample of all time. To be honest, I think it's really cool. Also, a credit to Five Dog and how incredibly talented of course, he of was. course. Rest in peace, big man. That's a that's a hard that's a hard decision to make because. That that tribal quest one, the skill is so good. Actually, I hadn't even I actually heard that song. Maybe I have, and I just can't remember. But it's not one that I remember vividly. But that's insane. That level of skill. But 
I've got to give it to Sebi because the thing that has swayed me is the Godzilla thing. (laughs) (laughs) But no, just the fact that he took this like piece of music that was originally designed to like be the backing track to Godzilla versus Mothra, which is like you you can feel it now. Like the song is big and it goes hard. And, like, the composer of the film would have wanted it to be grand as Godzilla's, like, stomping through. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can visualize that so much. And the fact that he's then gone, yes, this is the one, and turned that into an absolute banger. I've just got to give it to that because I just think that's mad, that from Godzilla to that absolute tune. So it's got to be Simon Says, I'm afraid. That's got to be the goat hip-hop sample. That's a good one to lose to. I'm not going to lie. That is uh, that one goes hard. That's a really cool sample. Yeah, it is a good sample. Do you know what? I've realised that we could do a whole podcast on hip hop sampling yeah. because for that whole time, I totally forgot that this was like a thing we had to decide. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to keep talking about samplers. I was just googling more. I was like, oh, I've got a fucking <laughs> another one that we should talk about. Like, I totally had gone off the whole concept of the show because what I was going to say is. Another album that has great sampling in. I'm aware it's a contentious figure to bring into this subject because I do think he's a bit of a twat and not a very nice guy all the time. But Kid See Ghosts, which is obviously Kid Cudi, incredible. Kanye West, eh, incredible. Incredible at sampling. Really amazing producer. But that album, Kid See Ghosts, there's a specific track on there called Fourth Dimension where Kanye samples Louis Prima's What Will Santa Claus Say? which is from 1936, and it's an incredible sample. So I'd really recommend people go and give that a listen as well. With his great big smile And you'll find that even a kid is hard swimming in a later style Oh, what is Santa bringing? Oh, I'm bringing your brightness and I It feels so good, it should cost Alligator, I, ain't talking cost. I am just a big fan of like jazz music as well, like especially like old school 50s, 60s jazz. Oftentimes on Spotify, I'll just go on like like a few jazz songs and it'll just go to like, it'll go on the uh, Spotify radio and it'll just suggest more like classic jazz songs, which I'll, I'll like, like cool jazz, that sort of stuff. And what's really, really cool about listening to all of that is that almost every song I listen to, because I'm also a massive 90s hip hop fan, I'll always be like, oh my God, I recognize that four seconds in that song. Holy fuck, that's where they got it from. At least see like the, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, I'm just like, they're like, it, that, that's it. I know that. I know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, 100%. For me, most of the time, that's for a tribal quest as well. Yeah. If we're going to finish on anything, it's that if you've never listened to a tribal quest, I will never say this again. I will never tell you to pause this podcast. But if you pause it to listen to anything, it's a tribe called Quest. Pick an album, listen to it. Fall in love. It will change your life. Speaking of a tribe called Quest, who I'm also like it's just a huge nerd for. I fucking love them. Before they uh, tribe called Quest released their last album in 2016, uh, we got it from here. Thank you for listening. Before it released, I was getting into this one like German krautrock band from the 70s called Can that my friend introduced me to, and. Over the space of a few months, I started to realize that their album, Take Omega, I think from 1973, was my favorite album of all time. And it's still to this day is my favorite album of all time. Like, I fucking love the album to absolute bits. 
but there's a song in it called Hallelujah, which is like an 18 minute kraut rock fucking extravaganza. And there's a part in that 18 minute chaos where it's suddenly like it's like the lights dim down and it goes like soft and then there's like a piano bit and Damon Suzuki, this lovely homeless Japanese man's on the vocals and the piano and he's singing something about whatever and he's playing the piano and I remember listening to that and being like I could sample that I don't know if anyone's ever sampled that because this might be like a bit too niche for like most hip-hop heads like that sounds really good this would be really good for my music because at the time I was really into like hip-hop sampling and I was starting to do my own like hip-hop sampling and I started doing it and then like a couple days later the Tribal Quest album came out and Q-Tip, that motherfucker, he beat me to the <laughs> fucking punch. I was so mad when I found out. Is the song Lost Somebody on the last album? They fucking sampled that exact sample I was looking at. And I looked into it and he was like the only person to ever sample that song other than like some random other part. The fucker beat me to the punch. I'm so mad about that. <laughs> But anyway, we digress. Anyway, we digress. Vinny, you're judging the next one. So let's go, baby. So yeah, celebrities, we love them. We hate them. We think kind of indifferent about them. We, <laughs> <laughs> we love them, we hate them, or we just don't really care. <laughs> we don't really care. Or, you know, we, we, we want to be them. We want to wear their flesh. Or we are them. Or we are them. Like in our case, obviously, with all of our listeners. Thank you, listeners. But what we love more than a celebrity is when a celebrity does something bad and they need to apologise. I love it. It's my favourite thing. If there's anything that's even close to hip-hop samples, it's celebrity apologies. <laughs> <laughs> I love both of them. It's two genres that I love. That's why we love this show. That's why we love this show. But yeah, I'm excited to see what the greatest celebrity apology of all time is. I'll let you go first, Michael, because Sebek went first last time. Mine's actually not a celebrity, but... <laughs> Every time, man! Yeah. Do you know what, though? What I'll say is he is improving, because at least he's admitted it off the bat. Because <laughs> we had to put up with fucking 25 minutes of Gandalf, which was just dribble. That was absolute dribble. So at least it's just come out at the beginning and been like, I've gone completely off. I've given you the win by default, and we're just going to move on. And now we can just listen with open ears and just accept that it's trash. It's not trash. No, it's not a celebrity, but it is an apology. and. It's an apology of epic magnitude. Like, honestly, when we picked Celebrity Apology, this is the first thing I thought of. And then I was like, oh, yeah, but it's not a celebrity. So I tried to think of some actual Celebrity Apologies. I couldn't think of any, honestly. This is the one that stuck out in my head as like, boom, big. And it does involve celebrities, so I think I'll get away with it. But what it is, is in 2011, on the 20th of April 2011... BP fucked up. They fucked up. <laughs> I knew you were going to go for BP. <laughs> and they spilt 210 million gallons of crude oil into the ocean. Naughty, naughty boys. So what I'm doing is the Deepwater Horizon oil spill apology from uh, BP CEO Tony Hayward of the time. But if you don't know what happened, a little bit more detail... Off the Gulf of Mexico on the 20th of April, like I said, there was an explosion on the Deepwater Horizon oil rig. Go watch the film with Mark Wahlberg, because it just explains it all. 
11 people died, and like I said, yeah, 210 million gallons of oil spilled into the ocean, and it took nearly five months to stop spilling into the ocean. It took nearly five months for them to seal the fucking hole. So it finally stopped leaking on the 19th of September 2010, which is ridiculous. It's absolutely insane. It's probably the worst environmental disaster in human history. Probably only topped by the meteor that killed out all the dinosaurs in terms of, like, effect on the environment. You know, pretty ridiculous. It literally took, like, five years to clean it all up. And it's probably not even cleaned up, really, is it? Like, that's the thing as well. No. Oh, no, no, no. No, it's probably not even cleaned up. And all that happened... Think of the magnitude of how bad this is. They fucked up so bad and all tony haywood said was i'm really sorry i want this over just as much as everybody else i just want my life back is what he said is exactly what he said it's like a 30 second apology if you haven't seen it just google tony haywood bp apology he's just like oh yeah nah we're really sorry it's really bad. Everyone wants this over. No one wants this over quicker than we do. I, I just want my life back. That's it. <laughs> That's all he had. And then we spiral into the apology of the apology, because then he had to apologize for such a shit apology the first time. <laughs> so he's writing all these newspaper articles. He's just like, oh, I'm really sorry for how badly I said sorry the first time. He's just like, oh, I'm so sorry I said sorry like in that way. I should have said more sorry. So he said sorry again, and then he said sorry again, <laughs> and again, and again. And he just kept going round and round and round. Oh my God, honestly. It just goes on and on and on. The sorry for the sorry really rattled me. I don't know why. It's really and the thing is as well is, yes, he should say sorry, you know, because it was really bad. But when you learn that it wasn't necessarily an accident, it makes it even worse. Because BP was successfully sued by the US government. Because the leak happened due to poor maintenance, cost-cutting procedures, and that they were lying to the government with their safety procedures, and it was just a complete disaster. It was all BP's fault entirely. The entire cost of cleaning it all up and the lawsuit was $65 billion to BP. Oh, and that was in 2010. Like, I know inflation hasn't gone up that much, but like it was a little, you know, it'd probably be a Close to a hundred billion now, maybe. Like it's the largest corporate lawsuit in history as well. That's almost like buying three Lukaku's, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely insane, like how bad it was and how like pathetic, absolutely pathetic the apology was. And it was so pathetic that two very clever individuals who are usually looking at pop culture most of the time a couple of gentlemen by the name of trey parker and matt stone they saw this and instantly thought this is fucking funny do i have to explain who trey parker and matt stone are? they make south park all right if you don't know south park if you don't know trey parker and matt stone i don't know how to help you they make south park okay so shortly after the oil spill they featured in an episode all about hindsight and sort of things like that the parody and the joke was that bp weren't really sorry so they made like a apology video of Tony Hayward just going, Hi, I'm Tony Hayward, CEO of BP. I just want to say, we're sorry. He's like stroking a, like a baby seal. And then it'll cut to him like laying naked on a rug going, 
We're sorry. And then it'll be like chopping wood. We're sorry. And it goes on for ages just saying, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. And it's been meme loads. Like, you'll find things like that all the time. We're sorry. And in the episode, it's funny because they do it again and again and again. And eventually they open up like a portal to another realm. And um, Cthulhu, the demon, comes out. And VP's idea of trapping him in is to go to the moon and do a big oil drill there. And just completely knock out the Earth's gravitational pull or whatever. And that'll seal up the portal. And it's just constantly, every time they do it again and they like, release Cthulhu, it's just, we're sorry. <laughs> Obviously, the parody, the joke is that, like, they're not sorry, are they? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's such an empty apology. 11 people died. As well as all the natural disasters. 11 people died on that oil rig. And all Tony Hayward said was, I'd like my life back. Completely ridiculous. It's absolutely the most pathetic apology ever. That is absurd. The balls on that man. And that's why I picked it. I know it's not a celebrity. Do you know what's funny is, I'm willing to give you a loophole, which is in the sense that he's become a celebrity because of how bad his apology was. I'll take it. I'll take it. I think your answer is very much eligible. I like that answer. Yes. Breaking the rules, sticking to the rules. Yes. (laughs) Well... I feel like that's a tough act to follow, but I'm going to try my best. Obviously, this one was really hard because, as Vinny said in his open-up monologue, if there's one thing celebrities are doing, it's fucking up <laughs> and then apologising for it. So they're always saying stupid shit. But for me, I just chose one that I think is like, the thing they're saying sorry for is despicable, and then the way they said sorry was also despicable. Now, if you're not into PC gaming and YouTube's PC gaming realm, this may have flown over your head. But it was big for me. I remember when this happened and it was, it was so big that it got onto like the actual news, which is saying something. If PC gaming gets onto the actual news, you've got to do something quite bad. Summit's gone down. So if you're not up to date with PC gaming or PC gaming YouTube, I'm going to try and give you the deal in like the most least nerdy way that I possibly can. So one of the most popular competitive PC games in the world right now is Counter-Strike Global Offensive, also known as CSGO. It's a first-person shooter, a bit like Call of Duty. If you ever play Call of Duty, it's very similar. The big selling point is that it's been around for a really long time, so a lot of people know exactly all of the ins and outs of it, and it's super balanced and they put a lot of effort into making sure that it cannot be broken or manipulated to give you an advantage. And the reason it's super balanced is, I don't know, if you've ever played Call of Duty, or even if you've played FIFA, which isn't a first-person shooter, but in most games, the thing that you aim for in a multiplayer experience is a better version of what you had when you started. So say you play FIFA you're aiming to get better players which allow you to beat more people than you did when you first started. And the same goes for Call of Duty. You try and rank up guns or rank up so you can get better guns that give you an advantage over players who haven't played as much time as you have. A progression system, yeah. A progression system. CSGO doesn't have that. A player who joined today and a player who joined six years ago could play in a game and they would have the exact same weapons, attachments, everything. 
they would be on an equal footing entirely other than the time and skill that one person's put into that game, which is why it's huge in competitive games. It's purely skill. You can log in and you have the same advantages as anybody else. It's just, are you actually better at it? The only advantage is being good at the game. Yeah. With a system like that, any business-minded people here are probably seeing a flaw because the reason that FIFA makes EA almost a billion dollars a year is because people will happily pay to get those upgraded players or, in Call of Duty, upgraded guns without having to work for them. That's their business model. Or you release a new game every year, which is what FIFA and Call of Duty do. So then everyone who bought it last year has to buy it again and give you more money again. CSGO doesn't do that. It's been the same game for fucking ages. So don't make money off of people rebuying it. It's actually free to play now. It didn't used to be, but it's free to play. And you can't pay for better shit. So where are they making their money? Well, if you know anything about games, you'll see this coming. They make their money on cosmetics. So cosmetics is the way that your character or your guns or your weapons in the game look. They have no impact on how you play as a player. They just affect how you look. And it's bragging rights. It's saying, I've got a gold gun. You don't have a gold gun. I paid this much for my gold gun. Look how fucking cool I am. That's all it is. That's how they make all of their money. A cosmetic change to your weapon is called a skin. So like, it's basically like a paint job for your gun or your knife, but I'll keep calling it skins. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's what it is. Some of these skins, gun skins, and particularly knife skins, there's like different knives that your player can hold. They have more than just a lick of paint, they're the knives, don't they? They have like different animations. Exactly. Specifically the knives which have custom animations and like look really different are worth huge money. And I'm talking like big, big money. If you're wondering how they're worth money, they're worth money on what is effectively a second-hand market. This is where it gets a bit confusing, but I'm going to try and rattle through it because it is important for why the apology comes. I haven't forgotten the apology. (laughs) When you get a skin in CSGO, you don't own that skin because A, it's not real, but B, the code is just linked to your account. It's very similar to something like Bitcoin or an NFT. There's a unique code for your skin, like a specific however many number code that Valve, the people who make the game, assigned to your account and that allows you to play using that skin but you don't own it they own it they lend it to you when you win it so that's how they get away with what is basically gambling for kids because if you played fifa or if you played csgo you'll know that you don't just outright buy the thing you want you buy the opportunity to win it. Yeah, you buy a box and you get like a bunch of shit and do you get the one you want? No, you buy another one, another one, another one, yeah. Exactly. So that's how CSGO make the really big bucks they make. You buy what's known as a loot crate and then you have to buy a key for the loot crate. So you have to buy two things. The key unlocks the box and there's a very, very, very small chance that in that box is a really, really cool paint job for your gun or your knife. That's what you're aiming for. Now, that in itself is effectively gambling for kids. They get away with that because you are not actually paying to gamble to receive something real. You're paying to receive something that you never actually own. 
The same with FIFA. You don't own those players. You don't own the skin. You're just loaned it from the company. It's just a piece of code. So that's how they get away with it because you're not paying money to receive something that's worth actual monetary value. Yeah, yeah. So it's not gambling. It is, though. But this is where things get a bit hinkly because, as I said earlier, the CSGO skins are worth big money. Now, because they don't want to get done for real gambling, Valve don't allow you to sell your guns through Counter-Strike the game. But what they do allow you to do is sign in with your Counter-Strike account to a third-party website, which then allows you to trade your guns for real money. And when I'm talking about selling, and the reason they might get told off for gambling, is I'm not talking about pennies, I'm talking about really big money. Like a basic skin out of a loot crate that anyone can get might be worth 20p if I was to sell it to you. A relatively common cool one that aesthetically looks good but isn't that rare might be fiver, tenner, 20 quid on one of these resale websites where I can sell it to you. It's a lot of money. This scales all the way up to a one-of-a-kind knife that was sold a few years ago that was... So the knife itself was rare, and this knife was even rarer because every knife had a unique code that made it look slightly different. This knife, the specific one I'm talking about, the skin that was sold, had a glitch in the code that made one side of the knife entirely blue. And for that reason, the knife sold for $100,000. Holy fuck. For something that's not as... That's be Holy, that's not even real. Something that doesn't exist and you do not own. God, this is like uh, it's NFTs. Just, oh my God, it's just <laughs> numbers. Oh my God. Oh, mum, for Christmas, can I have this knife, please? It's not 100 grand. What the fuck? I'm just going to Google this knife. I've never actually heard of this. This is really interesting. Oh, I can see it now. CSGO 100 grand knife. Yeah, look at that. That's the knife. 100 Wait, grand. That... Wait, is that, the... is that the other side, the bad side? No, that's the good side. Oh, where's it's the not bad... even I want, that I want, blue. I want to see the bad side. No, no, that's the all blue side. Oh, right. What's, what's the other side look like? So you see how there's little bits of like orange and stuff on the tip and on the shafty bit? Those bits are like more mottled over the whole blade. I don't understand. Why does somebody want to buy that for a hundred thousand pounds? Yeah, no, I don't get it either. Like, it's not even that blue. It's unique. It's just a bit unique. Anyway, that's not even the apology. We're, I'm just. This is just context, right? It's like a whole. Like, this could be like a proper goats episode. I know. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I will rattle through the next bits. That the context is probably more than the actual thing itself. So basically, in December 2015, two really big gaming YouTubers called Tom Castle and Trevor Martin, aka The Syndicate Project and T Martin, saw that there was a lot of money floating around and the fact that there was third-party websites where you could buy and sell skins. And they saw the fact that CSGO was getting away with basically it's not really gambling because you don't buy or sell anything of real value. And they thought, well, we could combine all of this to make something really interesting and really, really fucking immoral. What they created was a website called CSGO Lotto. Now, it's important to note that those two YouTubers had a predominantly child audience. So under 18s. No one's watching gaming YouTube at this time 
above the age of 18. It's just not a thing. And what this website allowed their viewers to do, and anyone, to be fair, was gamble with your skins, not with real money. So you went onto the website and all the skins that you'd opened off of loot boxes on CSGO, you could then put on an actual online roulette table or in a fruit machine as currency. So if you had this £100,000 thing that you could sell for that, you could just gamble it away. You could just gamble it away. But what they did is they created like a rank system for... So that £100,000 knife would be worth a real £100,000. And if you put that on black and it came up, they would give you £200,000 worth of skins back, which you can then sell to another third party company for real money. So they're not allowing you, they're not giving you. It's gambling with more steps. It's gambling with more steps. They're (laughs) giving you a thing which you can then trade in for real money. Right, Right. Yeah. They're just basically the same, the equivalent of casino chips, but it's just skins on Counter Strike Go. I see, yeah. Now, what makes this worse, or probably 10 times worse, not only is the fact that they're pushing this at kids, but the only thing that stopped a kid from going on this website and trading their real skins that they'd spent real money on was a tick box, like what you get on a porn site, that says, I'm not 18. That's it. And if you do real gambling, like if you try and download the Ladbrokes app or something like that, you have to put your photo ID on And, like, your bank details and all sorts of verification stuff, yeah. None of that shit. It's just a tick box, because that'll fucking stop them. (laughs) And as if that wasn't bad enough, this was made a hundred times worse by the fact that the Syndicate Project and T. Martin, that's their YouTube names, were filming themselves playing CSGO Lotto and winning massive prizes acting super hyped and they did not tell their fans that they were associated with the website. Oh, so they're falsely advertising their own thing. That's very illegal. They'd be like, I'm going to put all my money on black. Oh my God, guys, I just won this really rare knife. This is You can watch the videos. I'm not joking. It's grim. And it's obviously fake. It's obviously set up. It's rigged, yeah. yeah. It's rigged. It's their fucking website, yeah. It's their fucking website. They're not going to lose, are they? Even if they didn't rig the website, the money's going into their pocket so they can keep putting skins in until they win big by chance and they then just put that one up on YouTube. They wouldn't lose any money anyway. They won't lose any money anyway because they're just giving themselves money. There's no lose for Uh... them. Now, this is not just immoral. You're starting to dabble into, like, illegal at this point. Very illegal. And then this inevitably came out because parents started going, how's my kid spent tens of thousands of pounds buying skins to then gamble with and lose them? Because that's the thing. It's not just the skins kids were winning in CSGO. They were going onto third-party websites, buying thousands of pounds worth of skins and then gambling with them not using them in the game whatsoever they're just using them as gambling tokens oh i see yeah 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 so it's fully just gambling it's just gambling for kids csgo is no longer a part of it whatsoever they've just created a token system out of gun skins that you can gamble with the game is no longer relevant whatsoever so all of this comes out parents are like where the fuck's all my kids money going (laughs) they then someone googles the company name and it's like 
these two fucking geezers own it. They then look at them and realize they're the YouTubers. So it all just blows up enormously, right? So they get caught. It's national news. And T. Martin, one of the guys, releases the worst attempt at an apology video I have ever seen. It's offensively bad, (laughs) right? This apology video starts with him talking to his own dog called Cooper, right? And he's side on to the camera and he's talking to it and he's going, Cooper, I just don't know how I'm going to make this video. I'm just like so sad. I feel so bad. Then Cooper's fucking gone. He's just a sympathy vote. And where Cooper was, Cooper is taking up the majority of the frame. Cooper goes out of frame. You then realise he's filming this apology video in his multi-million pound house in the staircase. So you can see the like glass staircase oh going up. God. The house is all made of glass and behind his right hand shoulder is his decked out 4x4 just in the background. I want to see the apology video. It must be a re-upload somewhere. Oh, I can see it now. Oh my God, I can see it now. Oh my god. Oh my god. He's just sat in his mansion. He's sat in his mansion with his fucking juiced out, blacked out 4x4 in the background. Saying, ooh, sorry. That's so funny. That looks like it's it's properly positioned there. Like, he did that on purpose. Oh my. Has he never seen a YouTube apology video? Because, like, when you get caught as a YouTuber, obviously most YouTubers are playing a character. You drop the act. You just sit in your bedroom and you say, "Look, I-, I fucked up. Like this is this isn't me. This isn't me, the YouTuber. This is me, the person." Logan Paul managed it, and he's a fucking idiot. You just say, "I'm actually just bare sorry. Like I'm just really sorry. Like I've actually just fucked up." You don't start by doing a bit with your dog as if it's an intro to a proper YouTuber. Oh boy, yeah. And then the dog drops to reveal your incredibly expensive car. That's your car. Yeah, my days. It's awful. Also, he just looks like a fucking psychopath. (laughs) So he goes from that. He then spends 30 seconds talking about how grateful he is for his fans. He's like, I wouldn't be here without you. No shit. (laughs) Blah, blah, blue. I'm so grateful. You've made my dreams come true. He then, and I'm not joking, hard cuts. Like it hard cuts. To him then, he just says all this and he goes, now, my ownership of CSGO Lotto has been public knowledge for the last year. And he just fully is like, you should have fucking known this, you little shit. He then just reads off two minutes of carefully written lawyer's statements Uh, that are literally written like a legal document. He's like, there has always been reasonable knowledge to say that I have owned this company. He then is like, as he's saying, he's like, as you will see, there has always been a section of the terms and conditions of CSGO Lotto that say you must be 18 to play on our website. Then there's screenshots of the terms and conditions flashing up on the screen, right? That ends. It then hard cuts to him again being like, I'm really, really grateful for you all. You've made my dreams come true, blah, blah, blue. (laughs) And then to finish it off, he does the classic, leaves in the bit where he turns off the camera. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. You know how they always do that? Yeah. Where they, like, leave the fumble at the end where they turn off the camera? And that's it. That video was deleted in, like, hours. It went up. It hit the news. It was on BBC News. It was so dreadful and so (laughs) offensively cunty. Like, you stole that kid's fucking money and your apology video is you in your mansion 
with your fucking juiced out four by four in the background. You not even say you didn't even say sorry. That's just saying I I haven't done anything wrong because because I told you I didn't even do anything wrong. Oh my goodness! It's thanks for all the money and it's your fault for not reading the terms and conditions. And then he just walked away. And he still makes videos now. Really? Twat. God. Wow. The best thing about YouTube and all that is, is even if you delete it, it's getting re-uploaded. Someone's got it. Like, well, you can watch it now. Once it's on the internet, you can't get that thing you back. You can't get that off now. I don't want to, like, sway Vinny's opinion, but at least Tony Hayward sort of says, we're sorry. <laughs> At least he said sorry. But what's weird is the T Martin video was titled I'm Sorry, and then he doesn't say sorry at all. Oh, he just mugs you off. Oh, my God. The only time he says sorry is he says, I'm sorry if you didn't think I made it clear enough that I own the company. And by that, he means, I'm sorry, I literally never told you. I'm sorry I didn't explain myself properly that I was deceiving you all, because if I had explained myself properly, I wouldn't have been able to deceive you little shits. Thanks to my fans for paying for my car. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is like another weird one, another grey area one, because just like how Michael's one was, I'm, I'm giving him, like, I'm technically, I'm, I'm going to say he's a celebrity. Just like that, it's like, is a YouTuber a celebrity? I wouldn't say YouTube is a celebrity, like, but I think because it became mainstream just for like those events, I think. I'm going to have to also say this is technically a celebrity. So you're both technically in. We've both made it on a technicality, Michael. It's what we've always yes. wanted. You're both not eligible for voting. God, that is, that is a tricky one. Both are just hilariously bad. I mean, the YouTube one might be worse. Like, it seems like he had no idea what the fuck he was doing. Like, I don't know if he hired anyone, but whoever he hired, maybe, like, <laughs> it wasn't a good purchase. <laughs> no. <laughs> this PR team's worse than fucking Hitler's. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. So, yeah. I have to pick out of those two. This is a tricky one. This is a tricky one. They're both pretty equal in my eyes. I could sway one way or the other. But I think the fact that this was, like, actually, a, like, the CEO of a huge company, like one of the richest companies in the world. And it was also just a horrendous apology. Like he definitely had a PR team, like a very well-paid like PR team, but it did not go to plan at all. I think the YouTube apology is more funny maybe, but like I think as an apology, like as a terrible failed apology on the people's consciousness, I think the BP oil spill, I think that takes the cake. I have to agree. I, t- I totally agree. I totally agree. Any apology that eventually costs the company $65 billion is pretty fucking bad. You said FIFA makes EA a billion dollars a year. You'd be still paying that off when you got the FIFA 65. I just want my life back. seagulls. The audacity to say you want your life back when 11 people have died and you've killed like a billion animals. Like you and are you're the cunt. billionaire CEO of one of the biggest companies in the world. It's ridiculous. I'm so thankful for my, uh, my pygmy goat there. That's only the second one that I've won and we're on episode 10. <laughs> that is, in fact, I've done the research. That is your first pygmy goat you've won. So congratulations, Michael. Also, this episode, everyone won. 
a pygmy goat. We were all, we all came away as winners. Oh fuck yeah, boys! We completed it. We finally done it. We've done it, mate. We've actually everything's done it. fair is fair in the world. That's actually, I reckon that's been my favourite episode we've ever recorded. It's been a pleasure to do it with you, boys. I really, really enjoyed that. What a rocky start. Well, you've been really drunk. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that we had to postpone it this morning. I'm about to drive three and a half hours back home. <laughs> and that you're baked. Yeah. Michael's yeah. Nackers. I think it's been great. <laughs> I think it's been actually it's fantastic. Been On that note, we should probably wrap things up because we're at two hours and one minute. And you will see. I'm going to leave this in. I normally would cut me saying the timestamp out. But I'm going to say right now it's two hours, one minute and 29 seconds. And I want you, the listener, to look at how much I fucking cut from this episode and think about how much absolute drivel we had to cut Get out. spouted. <laughs> Get spouted on a regular basis. This isn't unusual. This is every episode. Yeah. The last yeah. episode came in at two and a half hours or something ridiculous. Yeah. So we are actually done quite We've well. We've done well, yeah. Um, but on that note, we should probably wrap things up. Go and check out our Patreon. We'll probably put a couple of like decent length clips of this episode up. I'm going to try and do. I won't promise that we'll put the whole thing up just because that's a whole lot of editing and we don't currently have quite enough time to edit both the audio and video versions. But I will probably try and take like a nice 15 minute chunk of the funniest bit and put that on Patreon if you go and watch that. Thank you all so much for sharing the show. Thank you to some of the new listeners who I have seen from the stats. Genuinely, we don't know you. There's people in America. There's people in cities in the UK that we definitely don't have people who live there. So thank you so much for listening. Do you know what we're doing next week? I think next week we are doing Goat Competitive Fighter, which is back to our laddie roots. Fight, fight, fight. Lads out. Get your tits out. Have him. Have him. Give me a reason. So this will be anything from a boxer to like anything in MMA, wrestling, you name it, any kind of fighter, like competitive sport fighter. Yeah, anyone. And Vinny's judging it. It was Vinny's idea. Vinny's judging it. It's me versus Michael. What about Aragon? No. That's what I'm saying. Every fucking <laughs> time, man. It's never-ending. <laughs> I think, honestly, you look for a loop in the rules before you look for your thing. You like your first thought is how can I not do what I'm told, and then you go from there. Yeah. What can I say? I'm a rebel. <laughs> and on that note, we'll see you next week. I got nothing else to say. I got nothing else to say. Love you. Bye. Bye bye. Love you. Bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. 
Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.